You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Swing and a drive! Swing, there's a shot! High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Bang! And this, he struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes nice again. His belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, Parker. With Adam Copeland. Welcome into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. Great podcast for you today. We are going to talk a little bit later with Giants third baseman Evan Longoria, who, of course, started the season on the injured list and made his way back into the Giants lineup just last week. And then, of course, he got a hit off of Albert Pujols as the Giants lost that series in St. Louis. Uh, Not a fun game to lose, that final game on Sunday Night Baseball National Television. However, there was a little bit of uh, a silver lining, a little bit of levity there that uh, that brought some smiles to the Giants' dugout in... uh, in really what baseball is supposed to be about, right? It's a it's a fun game. It's a bunch of grown men playing a kid's game. You get into a, a little league situation there where no mercy rule in the game of baseball. So Albert Pools ended up taking the mound for the St. Louis Cardinals and Evan Longoria got the first knock off of him. So we'll talk to Evan about that a little bit later in the podcast, but lots to get to from this past week in Giants baseball. And really the place to start, we talked a little bit about this on the podcast last week, is the Giants roster. Lots of changes over the last week or so, and it's finally starting to look like the roster and the lineup that Farhan Zaidi and Scott Harris put together this offseason. Tommy LaStella returned on Monday night in AAA uh, this year in his rehab appearances. 29 at-bats for Tommy LaStella uh, down in Sacramento. He hit 310 with an OPS over a thousand, two homers, two doubles, and five ribs. So expect him to get a, a nice heaping helping of at bats against right-handed pitching. He's going to end up uh, eventually, I think, once that Achilles is totally healed up, and they're comfortable putting him out there for more than just a couple of innings on defense. You want to make sure you can put him out there and then do the line change. Maybe they do it the other way against a left-handed starter, and then bring him in in the back half of the game. So he's not guaranteed to play as many innings. But this is a guy the Giants signed to a three-year contract a couple of years ago with expectations that he was going to be a guy in the line lineup that fit that Giants mold. He does not strike out a lot. A couple of years ago, he led the league in uh, in two-strike hitting. Uh, that was when he was with Oakland before he came over from San Francisco. So this is a guy that the Giants have counted on and that they're planning on to be their left-handed second baseman and their left-handed bat. He also gives you an option at designated hitter. Had a big, big, big home run on Tuesday night, 464 feet. So Tommy Listella setting himself right back in a groove as he enters the lineup as the designated hitter. Got to one plate appearance in last night's game as he swings and belts it. High and deep, right field, this one on its way. It is gone. Tommy Listella on the second pitch of the game crushes one into the second deck here at Coors Field. And the Giants lead just like that, one to nothing. Welcome back, Tommy. To make room for Tommy Listella coming off of the 60-day IL, uh, there was a little bit of concerning news. Anthony Disclafani, who's still dealing with that ankle injury, was moved from the 15-day IL 
to the 60-day IL. Now, I talked to Gabe Kapler earlier this week uh, on my radio show, and he did say, don't view that necessarily as a setback. They want to be able to have some roster flexibility. They're just playing the game. Farhan and Scott maybe understand the game of roster maneuvering better than anybody across the league. And so they've done that in order to uh, to get Tommy Listella back on the roster, maybe not have as big of a roster crunch in the time that it's going to take Anthony Desclafani to come back. So the hope is that he'll come back. They said they want to get him up to pitch in five innings again. So when a guy goes down like this, it takes a period of time for him to build that arm strength back up. You can't just throw him back out there and say, well, you're a starter. Go out there and, and throw us five innings. you got to build that arm strength back up. So I would expect that even once he comes off of the injured list, he'll probably have some sort of rehab start, a couple of rehab appearances down in double-A or uh, single-A, maybe in triple-A. They'll figure that out and figure uh, exactly where Descalfani can get his work in because it's not going to be as much about results as it's going to be about getting him up to, uh, up to speed to where he was at the start of this year. And he was a big asset for the Giants in the rotation last season. It's a big deal to have veteran pitchers in your rotation, especially last year, like when it was spearheaded by Logan Webb, who is still a very, very young pitcher, has the makings of what an ace can be. But you start looking ahead to what it takes to win a National League West, to get into the playoffs, and obviously this year uh, a little bit, a few more opportunities to get into the postseason as MLB expanded the postseason during the lockout this past offseason. So you're going to get six teams from each league instead of five teams in each league. But you look at what they did last year with 107 wins. There's a difference between being built for the regular season and being built for the postseason. We saw the Dodgers do this numerous years where they were great in the regular season, then they got to the postseason, and they just kind of fell apart. you got to have a rotation put together, and the Dodgers are a great example of that from last year. They basically used everything they had in that division series to get past the Giants, including using their trade deadline acquisition, the ace, the future Hall of Famer, Max Scherzer, to come in and get the first save of his career in Game 5. He was unable to pitch again for the rest of the postseason. They traded for Danny Duffy, a left-handed starter, at the trade deadline. He never made a start for the Dodgers. They lost Dustin May early in the season. They lost Tony Gonsolin early in the season. So what we saw from the Dodgers last year is kind of what the Giants have done this year with the injuries to the rotation uh, with Anthony Descalfani, where they've been able to go bullpen day periodically. The Dodgers last year were going bullpen day like two, sometimes three times a week. It's just not sustainable no matter how many arms you have when you get to the playoffs. So coming back to Anthony Descalfani, when he is able to come off the injured list, that gives you another veteran arm in that rotation. So you could go Carlos Rodon, you could go Logan Webb, and then you could go Anthony Descalfani if he's, in fact, your third-best starter. But you need to have a guy who can eat up some innings, and maybe Alex Cobb is that guy. Maybe Jacob Junis is that guy. Maybe Matt Boyd, coming off the injured list later this year, is going to be that guy. But it remains to be seen. So you want to get Descalfani healthy, and in the meantime, you want to be able to have some uh, flexibility, some maneuvering with the roster to get... Tommy Listella back on. Now, in addition to that move to get Listella back on, they did have to option Luis Gonzalez back to the minors this week. And the other move they made, we, we don't go a week or so without a trade here for the Giants organization. They traded Mauricio Dubon to the Houston Astros. Now, I think about Dubon, and obviously when a young player comes up, there's growing pains, there's things they go through. They've got to learn the speed of the big league game. They start to learn ballparks, how to play against certain pitchers, where to position yourself on the field. It's overwhelming, I imagine. I, I'm speaking like I know from experience. I don't really. I'm just going based on what we've seen in baseball over the last 140 years or so. When a young guy comes up, sometimes takes him a minute to latch on or to find a role or to, or to get a rhythm or a routine when he gets to the ballpark. We saw some of the growing pains with Mauricio Dubon. One thing I will say about him, 
He's a guy who I don't think anybody would say not a good guy to be around, not fun to be around. He sort of has that that boyish look to him. He's he's grinning, and the way I look at it is he's one of us. I know he moved to the to uh, California from Honduras. He was out in Sacramento, but anybody who grows up a Giants fan and was following the Giants World Series teams from 2010, 12, and 14, you got a little bit of affection for those guys. So uh, Mauricio Dubon traded out to Houston. He's going to join pretty good manager out there in Dusty Baker, and Gabe Kapler did say last week that uh, – when, when you get traded to a team like that, and Gabe Kapler was, was traded numerous times throughout his career, a handful of times, he said he told Mauricio Dubon that you got to look at this. Obviously, it's a, it's a business move, and you wonder about the impact on the clubhouse and what it can do when you lose a guy who's been around for a couple of years. But it means something, I think, to a player when he's traded for by a team that is in contention. The Astros have playoff and World Series aspirations. They've got a manager in Dusty Baker with 2,000 wins who likely will go to the Hall of Fame. And so nice to have him out there with another Sacramento guy in Dusty Baker. Uh, And the Giants don't have to see him 19 times a year since now he's in the American League West. So uh, we can uh, can follow Mauricio Dubon from afar, but he is now a member of the Houston Astros and actually started for them at shortstop a couple of times earlier this week. So uh, you say goodbye to Mauricio Dubon. You welcome back Tommy LaStella. And also in that trade for Mauricio Dubon. The Giants, you, wait, you think they weren't going to add some depth? They definitely added some depth. They went out and they got a catcher slash first baseman from Houston in this deal. A guy by the name of Michael Papirski. So he's a first baseman and a catcher. And uh, don't forget when Farhan was hired a few years back, he did say no move too small. So if they acquire a guy and at some point uh, they can use him, he's yet to make his big league debut, Papirski, but he was in AAA uh, in Sugarland, Texas for the Houston Astros. So maybe a name to, uh, to file away in the back of your mind and then bring it back out and, and have a little note for people uh, maybe when he makes his debut later this year or sometime in the, uh, the years ahead. The other thing I think about with Mauricio Dubon is he was the first guy when you look at all the moves the Giants have made over the last few years to get back to the status that they're at right from the the championship level teams from uh, about 10 years ago and you can go back to 2012 10, I guess it was 12 years ago and 12 10 years ago uh, and 2014 eight years ago by the way it's crazy to think that at this point we're now eight years removed from the last world championship or the last world series appearance it was that many years from 2002 to 2010, so the same gap. So maybe maybe some good luck this year on the uh, the eight-year gap for the Giants. Anyway, when I think about uh, Mauricio Dubon, and I think about when he first came over uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers organization, that was Farhan Zaidi's first trade deadline. That was 2019, his first trade deadline with the Giants. They traded Ray Black over there. And they traded Drew Pomeranz, the left-handed pitcher, who then got a contract uh, the following season to return to the starting rotation. Forever giant Drew Pomeranz. Uh, anyway, uh, Mauricio Dubon, I looked at that as kind of, okay, this is something th- that's, that's sort of unique. You've taken a team that's not in contention in 2019. You've grabbed a couple of players that could be assets for other organizations. Pitching is always a need, and Pomeranz had pitched well right before that trade deadline. But they acquired Mauricio Dubon kind of for parts on the team. And they brought in a guy who was versatile. They brought in a guy who was a good clubhouse guy. And they brought in a guy who grew up a Giants fan. So pretty good fit for Mauricio Dubon here in San Francisco during his uh, his time here. But always think about that, that he was kind of the first big trade that, that was in Farhan Zaidi and Scott Harris's sort of wheelhouse as the type of versatile player that they were trying to add to the roster, and they made him an outfielder. He was just a, a third baseman, second baseman shortstop when he came over, and now he's added the uh, the center field glove to his, his baseball equipment bag. So, so again, we wish Mauricio Dubon well as he begins his career out in Houston. And just sort of a fun little side note, the last trade between the Giants and the Houston Astros occurred back in 2011. The Giants sent Henry Sosa and Jason Stoffel to the Astros in exchange 
for infielder Jeff Kepinger. Remember Jeff Kepinger? Uh, yeah, so uh, the Giants and, and Astros have renewed their trade pipeline. Uh, they're probably wearing out the trade pipeline with the Seattle Mariners. We talked last week about all the trades the Giants and the Mariners had made. Sort of minor moves, actually literally minor moves, minor league players going back and forth. They made another one. The guy they acquired a couple weeks ago, Kevin Padlow, came over, started some games at third base down at Dodger Stadium. The Giants traded him back to the Mariners earlier this week. So while the pipeline is fresh between the Giants and the Astros, they're wearing that one out. They're keeping the. Uh, they're gonna have to repave that road, I think, between Seattle and San Francisco. So, uh, one more note: our MLB note of the week. We had fun with this last week. We talked about Christian Yelich hitting his third career cycle against the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, it was against the Reds, but also the previous two cycles he did were against the Reds. First player in MLB history with three cycles against one team. So Yelich uh, made our our MLB note last week. Maybe we should call it the Reds note of the week. How about this one? Uh, The Reds earlier this week threw a no-hitter against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Not an official no-hitter. Because they lost the game one to nothing. The Pittsburgh Pirates beat the Cincinnati Reds without recording a hit. Hunter Green, the rookie pitcher, former uh, early round or early first round draft pick by the Cincinnati Reds, actually pumps 100 miles an hour regularly. Threw 62 sliders in this game for the Reds, struck out nine, a career high. Actually had 118 pitches thrown into the eighth inning. Threw seven and two thirds innings before he was pulled from that ball game. And then a bases-loaded fielder's choice is what scored the run on a double play attempt for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So Pirates get the first win since 2008 in the major leagues without recording a hit. The the thing that comes to mind for me is how deep can you carry a no-hitter into a game, right? Uh, Harvey Haddix is the one that comes to mind, not because I saw him play. He carried, in 1953, a perfect game into the 13th inning against the Pirates, those same Pirates, before a throwing error ended the perfect game and then a one-run double cost him the no-hitter. Haddocks threw 12-plus perfect innings, and he took a loss. Lou Burdett actually started the game for the Pirates. He threw 13 shutouts. So my how baseball has changed from 1953 to today. So just kind of a fun note from earlier this week. Uh, On the Cincinnati Reds, we'll keep giving you some fun MLB notes as we get through the season. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, time to get to the fun stuff. Giants third baseman Evan Longoria started the year on the injured list, returned to the lineup last week, and shortly thereafter got a base hit off of Albert Pujols. Evan Longoria was gracious enough to spend some time with us. He joins us here on the Inside Giants Moments podcast. Evan, thanks for making time for us today, man. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. Uh, it's been fun so far. We had a conversation with Buster last week, and uh, you're going to be our second guest of the season. I was actually I was talking to my mom uh, yesterday about how I was going to do this with you today, and she said, do you remember the first time we ever saw Evan Longoria play? And I was like, I've I've got no idea. She said it was the 2007 Futures game at Oracle Park. You remember that at game, your first, your first appearance at Oracle? Yeah, I do. And that was um, that was actually the one and only time that I had ever been there besides when I got traded to the Giants. So, um, you know, a, a very cool experience. I, I remember it uh, vaguely. We were we were in the home clubhouse um, yeah. as the uh, as the USA team that year. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it actually kind of looked the same felt the same you know when I walked in there kind of like the same excitement too 
Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Do you? Uh, my mom was was heavy on this one. Do you remember the guy that won the MVP of that futures game? Um, was it Justin Upton? It was not. It was a Taiwanese player named Chin Lung Hu. And the oh, only yeah, reason, the only, yeah, the only reason that uh, that that's hung around, I think, in my family's lore is because then we get to do the who won the MVP. That's right. Who won the <laughs> MVP? Yeah, Chin Lung Hu. Uh, so uh, getting into a little bit of this season, uh, obviously not the start to the season. I think you were looking forward to uh, following the surgery. You start the year on the right. IL. What was the hardest part of getting back to the game or what element of your game was the toughest to get back up to speed before you returned last week? I'm still I'm still in the process of uh, <laughs> kind of figuring that out. I mean, this game, uh, you know, gets it gets harder and harder. Uh, the longer you do it, the players are, are getting better. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm still kind of playing catch up, um, especially at the plate. Um, you know, the game seems pretty fast right now, but um, I've had some good at bats. I've, I've had some quality contacts. So, um, you know, those are steps um, in the right direction. So uh, everything seems like it's, it's starting to come around, but it's, it's definitely uh, been a slow process. Was there a silver lining to the, uh, to the time at the start of the year? Did you get more time with family, hang out with your baby at all a little bit? I did. Yeah. I got to spend, um, that first, I guess, 12 days, uh, when the team went on that really long road trip, um, I went back to Arizona and, uh, and got to rehab there. Um, and also got to see the, the new facility there, which is, is really nice up at Papago. They did an amazing job. So, um, you know, the minor leaguers up there are pretty lucky to have that, that facility. Now, Papago, they did the thing where they they built one field with the dimensions of Candlestick Park, one with Oracle Park. I don't think they built a polo grounds uh, type field, like 600 feet to center field. But did you get to look <laughs> at any of those uh, any of those facilities? Uh, that's news to me. Um, you're you're in the know. I did not know <laughs> that uh, that they um, did that. But I do know that the facility is beautiful. The, they have um, they have a, a really nice half field and they also have a full um they have a full field indoors which is is great for arizona summers and they also have a full um turf field which is is really cool too good deal uh a cool place to go check out it's always fun uh, during spring training to go look at the uh, the training facilities for the giants so when you're in the rehab process how do you go about honing your game is there like a part you work on first or a part you work on last does it happen in stages what's the process for an established big leaguer like yourself getting in rhythm again um, I think it's mainly for, for guys who, um, you know, have been in the big leagues for a while. I think the, the biggest thing is just getting your body in shape. Like base, baseball shape is just completely different than, than anything else. I mean, you could work out the whole, the whole off season. And as soon as you put cleats on and stand around for three hours, it's, it's like a completely different thing. And you feel like you've, uh, you haven't worked out at all. So, um, I think just, you know, kind of getting through, you know, five, seven, nine innings of a game. Um, and, and then feeling like your body is like responding the next day. Um, you know, those, those, the rest of the reps are going to happen in the game, you know, the ground ball reps, the, the, you know, seeing pitches at bats, the, all those things. But, uh, in reality, I mean, it's, it's just getting your body to feel, you know, back comfortable playing the game again. It's just truly getting into, into some sort of bio rhythms with yourself. Uh, was there any pressure from the guys in the clubhouse when you got back to, to shave the beard and grow a mustache? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still getting it every day. And, and uh, I'm being reminded that uh, last May I had a, a really good May and I had a mustache. So um, I'm, I'm about, you know, one more over four away from, you know, shaving a mustache in. So uh, if it, uh, if it helps, I, I mean, I, I think baseball players are superstitious in that way that we'll, uh, we'll kind of do anything to, to, to get a hit or win a game. 
Uh, Richard Aurelia used to do that when he was a shortstop for the Giants. He always had a goatee, and you'd see him go through a stint where he, he wasn't reaching base as many times, and he'd shave it off and, and try to get ready yeah. again. Do you have any, you have any superstitions <laughs> about your game yourself? Um, I wouldn't say superstitions, but um, I think every baseball was, player would say that. Like, oh, it's not a superstition. It's just something that I do every day. But, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I don't have anything that I do every day per se. Like, I'm not like, uh, you know, if I eat a bagel today, like, I got to eat a bagel tomorrow if I get a hit type of guy. But um, I mean, I definitely go through kind of the same routine every day. Like I get to the field, I, I get, you know, treatment on, you know, whatever area it is. It's, there's always something that's bothering me. So I'm always like, you know, get a little, a little therapy here or there, um, you know, kind of get in the hot tub, get the body going. I go in the weight room. I kind of go through a little like warm up routine. Um, usually we have our like hitters meeting our advanced hitters meeting, uh, kind of sprinkled in there somewhere in the middle. Um, and then whether it's go out on the field and, and kind of work through ground balls and batting practice or go in the cage and kind of go through my hitting routine. Um, it usually happens at the same kind of similar times every day. I think if you hit four homers tonight, you should consider the bagel again tomorrow. I think it's in play. I actually, I didn't eat a bagel. I was thinking that because I saw Kirk Casale this morning and I asked him if he wanted to go uh, get something to eat. And he's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just getting a, you know, I'm just going to go get a bagel and, and a coffee. That's all I've been getting. So I know that he went and got the bagel yesterday. So he got the bagel today <laughs> because he had two homers. So if he, uh, if he hits two more, he'll be back at Starbucks again, getting a bagel. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's, it's always intriguing to me when uh, when guys who have been in the big leagues like yourself for a decade have to go to AAA for a rehab stint. How was it hanging with the young guys? Is that kind of a fun experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, playing playing in the minor leagues is like, I, I mean, I, I think like I, I take the experience for granted because it's like I know like, oh, I'm just I'm going to go back up to the big leagues like whenever I'm ready. Um and and so it's a it's a much different experience because I it's kind of just it's spring training for me you know it's it's fun for me like I get to enjoy like I mean that's always what I think the best part of spring training is is like the results don't matter you just get to like go out and play like in front of a lot of fans and like enjoy like um, you know playing the game and then during the season it's like you're so results oriented and and uh there's so many like more eyes and and tv cameras on you that uh you know it's not as fun when you when you don't succeed so uh triple a kind of seems that way where it's like it's a it's an enjoyable experience and yeah i get to interact with some of the the younger players that i only might see in spring training um so yeah it was it was a good time I had a, a high school baseball coach who played double A for the Reds for a number of years. And he said the best part about being in the minor leagues is, is especially the upper minor leagues is when a veteran comes down, they buy you dinner. Yeah. Does that etiquette is yeah. there MLB uh, big, big league player, minor league player etiquette yeah. still goes on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I bought a spread. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of like uh, a given, like you got to just get something, you know, but actually um, that the triple A team there in, in Sacramento is actually lucky. They have a really, uh, a really good chef who's like cooking for them every day now. Um, and uh, that's something that I, I never had. And actually when I went back there for a rehab last year, they didn't have her last year either. So she's uh, doing a really fantastic job up there with, uh, you know, what she has a tiny, tiny kitchen that she's cooking in like for meals for, you know, 45 people. So she's, uh, she's absolutely killing it. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, for the days that we're there, like we usually choose one day and kind of get something that, um, that they wouldn't normally get. 
Good deal. Take some pressure off of the uh, off of the staff out there too. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Any scouting reports on some guys you played with down there that you were excited about? You thought were uh, were good future big leaguers? I mean, I think everybody is excited about Elio Ramos. I think the prospect of him, um, you know, being a special player is is still a very real possibility. He's got some. Uh, he's got some some things some abilities that you don't normally see i mean his bat speed is is uh, incredible you know he can really run um i think he's got a, a, a really high baseball iq he kind of understands the game um so i i really enjoy watching him down there um and uh I, the two guys that are up now for us um uh junior Marte and yovera um they threw the ball really well when i was down there too um, Sean Jelly, obviously, you know, had a, a brief stint. Um, so I, I don't get, they, they have 40, they have like 40 guys in that locker room. So, you know, I apologize for, if I don't remember all of the guys. And, and so they're, they're kind of like shuffling a lot of pieces like in and out of the lineup. Uh, so you don't really get a chance to, uh, to see guys play. I mean, Kai Tom, I thought swung the bat well while I was there. Um, Bryce Johnson, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of good players down there. Alex Blandino, you know, guys that we saw in spring training that swung the bat really well. Um, that uh, I think um, actually, actually Blandino just got traded, didn't he? He did. I think he just got traded to Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, we, we've got a, I mean, I think you see that um, in the way that our roster is managed up here by, you know, how much talent we have down there. You know, there's a lot of kind of shuffling back and forth and, um, and the guys that come up here, uh, I mean, I, Luis Gonzalez just went down there. Guy was hitting three fifteen for us, you know, or whatever he was hitting, and uh, and he also was pitching for us. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's a lot of talent down there. A lot of guys that can come up and help the big league team. Well, you, you give us a good segue, man. Uh, you come back and like four games into your return, you get into the box, you look out there, and number five, Albert Pujols is on the mound, dude. That's got to be one of the more unique experiences in baseball history, getting a hit off a guy with 600-plus home runs and 3,000-plus hits. What was the conversation like in the dugout among you guys when you saw him? Couldn't you call it getting loose? Was he warming up out there? I don't know what you'd say. I, I actually looked out there and – uh and I was like, oh, my God, Albert Pujols is pitching. Like, what are we doing? Because, like, the game – at the end of that game, it just, it just felt like it turned into a, like a carnival affair. Like I, I made that air in the, in the eighth or whatever it was. And, and then uh junior hits the next guy. And then we bring Gonzo in, you know, he's pitching, gives up a hit, two runs, like gets out of the inning. But then like, we look and Albert's going out onto the mound. I'm like, man, like, what are we doing? You know, like, <laughs> uh, so it, it was, um it was definitely, I think it, it, made that loss that you know kind of embarrassing loss uh, a little bit more lighthearted at the end of the game um that that experience was was really cool I mean you know anytime you face a position player it kind of feels like a lose-lose like you you know you're supposed to get a hit uh and if you don't then you know it's just like a, a big L so um I was definitely happy to get a hit um and yeah I kept the ball and uh and I asked him I left it there for him to sign so hopefully I get it back uh, sometime next week and it's got I, I said he could sign it with whatever he wants so hopefully he put some some cool inscription on it or something gotta look out for reach back gas here now <laughs> is lined into left field Evan Longoria's got a hit against Albert Pujols and that's a sentence I never ever thought I would say that's the first hit Albert's ever given up in his career and Longoria wants to save the ball. He does. He wants to save oh, it. Oh, yeah. 
And Pujols is going to toss it over to the Giants' dugout. Maybe he'll put like Adam Wainwright on it. Then you'll get credit for having the ball and for uh, for getting a knock off a off a big league <laughs> pitcher. That'd be sweet too. Um, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, it used to be that we'd see a position player pitcher like, periodically. You'd see one like every ten years for the Giants or so. And now it's something that's that's kind of it happens like once a week across baseball. You see a position player out there on the mound. You mentioned like it's a lose lose almost from a hitter standpoint. When you go up there, how does your approach change when you're facing? Obviously, it's Albert Pujols. Maybe a little bit different moment, but does it change at all? Does your approach change? Does your idea of what you're supposed to do with the plate change? What's going through your mind when you face a position player like that? Yeah, I mean, like with with a guy like Albert, like obviously he was kind of just lobbing the ball up there. So it, it, it becomes almost like backyard baseball, you know, like you're just playing like in the backyard, like trying to see the ball like in the strike zone and and uh, and really try not to swing too hard. I mean, you see like a lot of guys like when Gonzo was throwing those 46 mile an hour lobs, like guys are just swinging out of their shoes because it becomes like softball. Um, and uh, and so when he got two strikes on me, I was like, man, like, honestly in my mind I'll be honest with you I I told Cap this and he could attest to it I said there was two outs in that game and I went up to the plate I was going to punch out on three pitches if he threw if he threw three pitches I was ready to like strike out just to see the the reaction of the crowd was um but you know we drew a walk and then uh and I I got two strikes right away and I was like well I'm not gonna be the last out of the game so I might as well swing if it's close um you know and I I just I was really just trying to put bat to ball. Like I wasn't trying to, you know, to hit it out of the ballpark. So thankfully it dropped. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. That'd be a hell of an accolade to be the guy that Pujols struck out. Like the one strikeout would be kind of funny, right? Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I was like, man, it'd be cool. Like, it would be cool. But then also I'm like, I'm hitting a 180, you know, so I'm like, <laughs> maybe I should just take this free hit, you know. <laughs> yeah, good mindset to have, man. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, have you ever lobbied to pitch? Have you ever thought about it or, or asked no. the manager if you could get out there? W- would you ever do it or, or what could you throw? No, I, I honestly, I would say no, I think. Um Craw is our guy. Like Craw's ready to go. He he wants. He talks about it every day, almost that he wants to get on the mountain pitch. So, uh, I think he would be next in line um, if if ever that was the case. But then we'd have to find somebody to play shortstop. So yeah, that's it. Craw's got a hose too. He could be out there pumping ninety, yeah. maybe yeah, if he was winding yeah. up normally. Uh, I was thinking about clubhouse dynamics in baseball. Uh, I always think it's more crucial than in any other sport because you guys spend every single day together from like February through September, sometimes October. I was thinking about this this week because Mauricio Dubon gets traded to the Astros and you've been traded, albeit uh, it was in the offseason. How does a clubhouse dynamic change when you lose a guy who, by all accounts, is, is a good guy to be around, kind of a good clubhouse guy? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we've been um, – I don't know if conditioned is the word, but like our clubhouse has had so much turnover um, in the last three years. Um, You know, we've had, we've had the mainstay guys, but like we've, we've moved a lot of pieces in and out in the past three years that um, 
it's almost normal if that's you know kind of the case if that or that if that could be said about like guys just coming and going but i think that's just kind of become like baked into the culture of like what we do and how we win and like what you know like the revolving door of guys that are going to kind of come in and contribute um it's just worked for us and i think that like we've kind of just embraced that idea of like okay like we're going to have these guys here and then we might have guys that come in and, you know, play 10, 15, 20 games for us and like, you know, help us win ball games. Like that's just the understanding is like, it really doesn't matter. Like anybody who walks through those doors is like, you know, a brother and like a guy that will support and like, you know, um, embrace and, uh, and then we just move forward from there and, and, you know, go out and try and win ball games. And it seems like everybody that, that we brought in and everybody that, um, you know, it's kind of in our hitters meetings and, and, uh, and kind of bought into our like offensive philosophy. Like they just fit in, you know, they Farhan and, and Scott have made and, and cap two have made great decisions on who they should bring in. And, and, um, it's just worked out for us. Yeah. It's tough to argue the results over the last couple of years. And even in, in 2020, just a couple of games out of what would have been a playoff yeah. spot. Uh, Mauricio Dubon, he was always pretty open about being a, a Giants fan as a kid right here in the Bay area, yeah. coming over from Honduras. It was a dream come true for him to play with Brandon Crawford. Was there a guy that you ever got to play with or against? And maybe it was Albert Pujols last week against the Cardinals yeah. where you look out there and you're like, man, this is cool, dude, because of, of what that guy meant to the game. Yeah, the first time, the first time that I ever felt starstruck on a baseball field was the first time I played against Derek Jeter. Um, just because, I mean, Derek Jeter like is who he is. Like, you can't even say like Major League Baseball without like the name Derek Jeter. But you know, like everybody knows who Derek Jeter is. So um, that was the first time, and that, and also that was a team who had a bunch of superstars. Like, you know, they that, that was when they still had. Mark Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez and uh, Jorge Posada. Um, I think they might even had Hideki Matsui. And uh, so Johnny Damon, you know, there, there was like a lot of guys on that team, but, but um, I, Derek Jeter was just a guy that like, I mean, he's the captain of, of New York, the most, you know, the most valued sports franchise. Well, maybe not anymore, but you know, one of at the time and like, this guy was just the face of major league baseball. So I was, I was pretty awestruck. And the guy, the, the other guy that um, was, uh, I, I was probably my favorite player. And one of my idols growing up was Ken Griffey jr. And um, I, I, we played against him. He was with Chicago uh, my rookie year, I believe 2008. Um, and uh, we played against him in the playoffs and there was a moment like he was he just like was busting my chops about there was some jersey situation. I guess Ryan Zimmerman sent a jersey to me um, in the clubhouse. It was signed, but it didn't have a note. It didn't have anything. It, it was just a jersey. And, it, and, it, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like he sent me a jersey, you know, but I didn't I wasn't of the understanding that I needed to send him a jersey back like that. <laughs> that's what that meant, you know, so I didn't send a jersey back. And I see Ken Griffey Jr. in the playoffs, and he just immediately starts busting my chops about me not sending the jersey back to Ryan Zimmerman. And I, and this is my first interaction with like my childhood idol, you know, a guy who I grew up with. Like, he doesn't even say what's up. He doesn't even say like, "Hey, how you doing?" He's like, "Hey, man, like I heard you big league Ryan Zimmerman about the jersey." And I was, I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, here we go. Like, he's just trying to bury me before this playoff series starts. But um, yeah, so that was those were the two guys. Um, 
I love, love them both, um, you know, admired and respected them. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to play against them. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story, man. We're, we're not far apart in age. Ken Griffey Jr. Was, uh, was one of my guys, too. I loved watching him play. Prettiest swing in the history of baseball? It's up there, right? Prettiest left-handed swing, I think. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard to compare lefties and righties for some reason. Left-handers usually just have, like, a little bit sweeter swing. But I think it's just because they can lean towards first and be going that way already. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's up there for sure. Um, Miguel Cabrera is, is – I love Miguel Cabrera's swing. He's probably – um, you know, tops on my list for, for right-hander swings. But there's some really good young players that have amazing swings. I mean, Trout is just built to hit a baseball. So his swing is, is uh, it's like ideal. And nobody will ever be able to recreate that. Yeah, he like coils. It's crazy the way he unleashes on baseballs through the zone. It's unbelievable. Um, so, so you were traded from the American League to the National League. You talked about when you came up with Tampa. It, it used to be that those two leagues were completely different styles of baseball. Now it's pretty uniform across the board. What were the biggest challenges coming over? I mean, you mentioned playing at Oracle Park like one time as a minor leaguer. Uh, you're seeing guys maybe you had not seen before playing ballparks you hadn't played in before. What was the biggest challenge going from the AL to the NL or, or did that sort of difference in the league not exist anymore? Um, I mean, it definitely still existed. Um, I, I, I think, um, it, it, yeah, just getting used to the guys, you know, getting used to like the division and the, the players that you're going to play against on a, on a everyday basis. I mean, when you, when you're somewhere for, for 10 years, like you have this level of familiarity, obviously like with, um, you know, pit starting pitchers, bullpens, ballparks. Um, but not only that travel, hotels um you know schedules like all of those things like the things that as fans you probably don't think about you know because it's just like an on um on field game like off the field stuff is is uh you know sometimes just as difficult for players in terms of getting their families to places and um just just understanding like how to get into ballparks and like where to eat on the road and like you know little (laughs) things like that that like you figure out and it's not you know super tough but like um, it's, it's a change, you know, and it's something that, um, that is, is all new and, and unfamiliar and, you know, it takes a little while to get used to. So last season, the first time in, I was looking at your, your baseball reference page, it's been eight years since you'd been to the playoffs, uh, before last year when you guys took on the Dodgers, yeah. what, what's the biggest difference in your mind from regular season to postseason? And, and did anything change in that eight year gap from the last time you were there? Um, yeah, I was, I was more nervous, um, you know, just because I think um, we got into a little bit of a, a run there in Tampa where it was like, oh, we just kind of, you kind of expect to be in the playoffs and then playoff baseball doesn't, um, you know, doesn't kind of uh, hit the same way. If that, if that makes sense, you know, it's just yeah. kind of like, okay, we're supposed to be here. And, um, you know, when it comes and you're just like, okay, like we, we know what to expect. Like last year, obviously, um we expected to be there as well. Like we were a great team the whole year and we knew we were going to be in the playoffs, but it's just, it's just different when you get there, you know, like feeling the environment again, like having, you know, 30,000 people in the ballpark for batting practice, like the music loud, there's a bunch of media on the field. That's not there. Like during the regular season, um, you know, national news crews, like a, a lot of different things. Um, just the way you enter and exit the ballpark, like there's more checkpoints. There's just like a lot more that's going on during the playoffs, uh, more media appearances, like before the games kind of like required stuff. Um, but like, that's what makes it great. You know, that's, you, you understand that like all eyes are on you. There's only, you know, 
usually two games or three games a day at most. Um, and, um, it's just, a, it's a special experience, man. And something that like I was reminded last year, um, you know, never to take it for granted because it's, it, it doesn't obviously an eight year gap, like it doesn't come all the time. Yeah. It's always, it's always, even from a fan's perspective, I think it's really special when you haven't been in a long time and not that, that last year was a total surprise. I think 107 exceeded everybody's expectations, but there's something special about not being there for a while and then getting back in and sort of having that, that playoff anxiety that I, you know, you sort of talk about there's hype, there's, there's excitement, but there's also a level of nervousness. I think it, it pours over to the fan base as well. It's, it's pretty fun to watch, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we really enjoyed it last year, obviously fell, you know, a little bit short, but, um, I mean, it was a, it was a special, you know, whatever it was, 10 days, five, five, you know, five games. And, um, I, I thought, you know, everybody did everything that they could, you know, obviously from the beginning of, of, uh, or middle of February all the way until the last day, I mean, guys showed up every day committed, um, and, and it showed in the records and it showed it by, you know, us ex- exceeding all of the expectations. Uh, before we let you go, Evan, uh, I just want to end it with kind of a fun one here. Did you, when you were a kid, you ever keep score in, in baseball games? Uh, I mean, I know how to keep score for the yeah, most right. part, but I never kept score. Okay. Can you, do you, can you name the seven ways in baseball scoring that you can reach base? There are seven different ways to reach base based on baseball. Scoring. Oh my can, God. You na- can you name them? Uh, seven ways, really? There's seven um, ways. Yeah. I mean, a base hit. A walk, go. a hit by pitch. There you go. Halfway um, there. Reached on air. Right. Um, catcher's interference. There you go. What is that, five? That's five. Uh, I mean, are you including like intentional walk? No, no, that counts as a walk. Like, that, that counts as a walk. Um, five, what, I got five and there's seven? You got five. You got hit, walk, hit by pitch, error. Strikeout. Straight catcher drop ball drop. That's right. That's six. And then there's one more scoring way to get on base. It doesn't uh, help. It doesn't help your batting average. Oh, like a, like a um, uh, fielder's choice. There you go. Fielder's choice. That's it. You got all seven, yeah. man. Sometimes people forget yeah. the third strike and the, uh, and the fielder's choice. That's a fun one. to yeah, end it, dude. It's crazy. Seven ways. Evan, I appreciate the time man. It's real fun catching up and I uh, love the Ken Griffey jr. Story, man. That's, that's the one that'll make headlines. I think from this podcast. Yeah, right on. Well, that's it. That's a true story. And he'll probably he'll probably attest to it, too. It was it was I was rattled, really rattled. (laughs) Good deal, man. Uh, Good luck. uh, Rest of the season, man. We'll catch up with you later. Thanks so much, Evan. All right. Thank you. See you. Uh, What a great conversation with Evan Longoria back in the lineup. Giants continue to get more and more healthier. I I just love that story about Ken Griffey Jr. and Ryan Zimmerman in the jersey. It's so funny, man. Just not knowing the etiquette when uh, when somebody sends you a jersey at the big league level. I guess they do that now more in football and in in soccer. You see that internationally. Teams uh, and players trading jerseys after games. I think it's happened in baseball periodically, but certainly not part of the culture. But when you send a guy a jersey and you autograph it, he better send you one back of him. So uh, great stuff from Evan Longoria. Great insight. Uh, lots of good stories shared. So thanks so much to Longo. Thank you to Kelsey, our producer with the Giants. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, why don't you subscribe? Don't miss an episode of this. We're going to have one every single week. If you missed the last one, a great conversation with Buster Posey. And fresh episodes coming to you every Thursday throughout baseball season. Until then, this has been the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm Adam Copeland. We'll talk to you next week.